You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead and pull up a chair. Hey guys, welcome to the after laugh. I have um, my Twitter friend. I guess we're on Instagram as friends too. Jessica Vaughn. Hi. Well, and now we're real world friends now that I'm yeah. in the garden just yeah, hanging out with you under the, the stars. Back here. It's nice, right? Yeah. No, I love this it. is definitely a lifesaver for the last year. Yeah, believe Patio me. Patio bound. Believe me. It's been the only thing that kept me sane. Um, so, Jessica, I, I, I follow you on Twitter and I'm always really impressed. You, you are a. Um, I don't know if you're a current model or a former model or you're an influencer. What, what, what would you say your position is in the world of social media? Are you an influencer? Is that what you would say? Um, not in the conventional sense, even though I do run my mouth a lot. So I suppose that means that somebody is listening. So that's sort of influencing. We, you, you have a very big following. And for someone who isn't on a TV show currently or doesn't have a podcast or isn't performing as a comic. Um, it's very impressive. And it, and it seems organic. You have a lot of engagement. How did that come about for you? Was that something that just sort of built organically over the years? Or did, did you, out of the gate, were you, just to backtrack a little bit, I know that you were a Playboy Playmate, right? Correct. What was that like? How does that come about? I, I don't know a lot of <laughs> Boy, playmates. I'm I'm a little bit of a nerd. Is that something that you're in high school and you get spotted? Hey, you at the grocery store, or do you audition for it? How does that come about? That would be a fun skit, you know. Hey, you like yeah? Because <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a photographer now, so it would be fun to think about how would I approach girls if I wanted to submit them from Playboy yeah. to Playboy and see see how that would would come about. Uh, no, I wanted to do Playboy because I had already started modeling to. Get out of my, I'm from Kansas, so I wanted to just get out of my hometown. Of course. Uh, and so, people probably your whole life were like, you should model. N- n- no, not really. I mean, that really wasn't anything. Um, it's just a very um, conservative place for the most part. The nobody, Kansas. Wichita. Wichita. And nobody really care. Like nobody really cares or treats you different if you're. It's not L.A. by any kind of means. So, okay. So I got to just go be in the the growth tank with regular people doing regular things. So, um, th- w- which was great. It was a great place to grow up. So. And you you say you're Lebanese. Are you 100 percent Lebanese? Are you? Uh, I'm half Lebanese. Half, half Lebanese. English, yes. So I'm assuming there's not a big Lebanese community in Wichita, Kansas. You know, um, I didn't find out my ethnic background until about five years ago. What? A DNA test. Yes. Yes. Very salacious. Wait, hold hold on. So your parents now, how do they present? Do they just look like swarthy white people or how do they? Yeah. Um, So my mom is um, a white lady and she led me to believe a certain somebody was my father that wasn't Whoa. really biologically my father. But now I was lucky to have, you know, the upbringing with a father, so I won't So you, you had a, you had a father that was a, a, a white Kansas dad yes. that was your, I guess, adoptive father? Is that what the word that would be? But he was your father. He was your dad. Right. Yes. And you grew up with him thinking that he was your biological dad. Yeah. Until when? Well, I did the DNA test so f- at long after I was an adult. What? Yeah. Okay, you did it on your own, I'm assuming. Yes. But, well, here's what happened. I moved to L.A., and everybody tried to speak, you know, Arabic and Farsi to me and all these things, <laughs> and people were just at, you know. In Kansas, you're either white, black, Asian, or Mexican. Those are like, yeah. it, those are all your I'm choices. I'm assuming some people might think you were Mexican, too. Well, and so people would try to ask me over the years, like, why I looked the way I do. Uh-huh. Like, I had big, giant, now what I know to be Arabic guys, but, yeah. I, I, you know, I finally grew into them, so they're not so, um, you know, <laughs> You don't look character-like. like a Disney cartoon now. Yeah. yeah, but I did as a child, and so people would always comment that, and I, you know, but I didn't have an explanation for it. Yeah. Uh, but then I moved out here, everybody was like, hey, maybe you are of this... You should look into that. And so I did the test and I was like, So was it one person in particular who was like, because now you say your mom was white and your dad was white. Were they white like me? Because if if you had two white parents that look Mm, like me and you look like you, 
that seems like that would be open to questioning. I did the Punnett Square thing a couple times, you know. The what? Um, the Punnett Square, you know, for genetics and trying oh. to figure out the probability, right? Scientific <laughs> yeah. probability of why why this, uh, how this could come about. Yeah. Um, no, I just, my, um, the person I was led to believe is my father is a Mediterranean person, so. Yeah. At least it had dark hair, dark eyes, sure, okay. and tan. Got it. Like so it, wasn't, it, it, yeah. it lined up good enough for a lie that was told to me in you know 1987. So yeah, yeah. And you, some people out here were like, you should check it out. You should, yeah. and so you just went and bought a 23me or ancestry.com. Yeah. Ancestry. Ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. And they take like a hair sample or a swab for your mouth. I feel like we should have got an ad placement for this story or something because it's re- <laughs> it's really true and it's it is my story about how I found out and I, I know they're big into the ads so we'll have to send them this story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That'd be great. Um, and you did it, just kind of like, well, I'm curious. So when it came back, how, what was the percentage of? Because it shows you all the percentages of your of your different ethnicities, right? Yes. Um, and I was like Irish, Scotch, and like nothing else. I was like, God oh, damn it, mm, nothing all, cool. All that checks out by looking at you. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, can I have anything cool in there? Just a little bit, maybe a one percent Native American, but no, just just white people mm. from my own Scotch. So, um, you're, you you're did, Elizabeth Warren amounts of Native. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. <laughs> so, um. You, how much? How, what percentage Lebanese were you? Well, I'm half. So it's fifty yeah. percent Lebanese. Yes. Wow, yes. that it was cool. W- what did you think when you got that? Were you just sort it, of? It opened up a whole new world because I actually would I would watch those like shows like Oprah would connect you to some long lost sister and you know these sorts of things yeah and I was like that's got to be so amazing because you get a whole second a whole chapter of your life to yeah. retroactively go investigate who you are yeah and it, it was it was like my turn and it was shocking and jarring and it was a whole new paradigm shit yeah you know did you immediately call your mom no Wait, have no. you not talked to your mom about Well, him? I waited for a good year and a half. Why? And she came to visit, and so I told her at a Thai restaurant. Um, How did you present it to her? Uh, I can't remember now because, you know. Were you nervous? Were you nervous to bring situation, I think, like, yeah. I have a way of, of just compartmentalizing sure. that stuff and not thinking Were about it. Were you nervous much, bringing it up to her? Uh, yes. Yes, because... I didn't want to slut shame somebody, you know, yeah. and this type of, especially, but, you know, of course it's recalibrating of everything about my identity, so it's kind of important to bring up, you know. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I did. We had a good chat about it, about, you know. So, when you brought up, what was her reaction? Did, was she like, Well, you I think me. she knew, I think she knew in a matter, you know, nobody can outrun science. Yeah. With that stuff, so, um she wasn't avoidant of it. She was just hoping I would understand that there were so many factors at play with not being entirely sure. And then, like, my biological so father was considerably older than her. So she didn't actually know for sure. Well, I think, no, I think she uh, she, she had knew. said some stuff, some hints. She yeah. just didn't, like, it... W- once you run with one story, what are you going to do to interrupt the momentum of that person's identity? And he's now paying child support and all this stuff, right? Like, how are you going to just interrupt that person's life? So yeah. I'm sure that it was hard for her, especially once she started financially collecting from the situation of the story, the way that she had spun it. And yeah. So how did that plan? How did that play out? Like, did was it a full-on relationship or a, a, a weekend or a night? Or how did she have a relationship with this man, with your biological father? Um, she, he was like, I don't know, a good 15 years older than her or something more. And she was just a, you know, young, naive, 23-year-old girl, right? Uh, but he was a successful businessman, owned like a bunch of, built a bunch of stuff in my hometown, all this stuff. It was, it was sad because it's like he never went on and had any other kids. He got married late in his life, but it would have been, it would have been an opportunity through that whole ordeal she could have told me at any point. And, yeah. you know, even at 16, I feel like people are pretty mature. They could have a hard conversation. And, yeah. Yeah. But he's passed away now, so I, 
I oh, really? Yeah, I can't go oh, resuscitate what? that based on new discovery, unfortunately. This to me is, is so fascinating. So you, now, obviously, your your uh, dad that raised you, um, does he know now? Or did your mom like, this is our little secret. Let's not well, bring it up. you know, I'm a grown-up. And nobody gets to tell me what to do yeah. anymore. But um, especially at this point, there's not really a reason. Like, my biological father's passed away. There's not really a reason to go re- rehash that. And, of course. And, um, especially when you're an adult, you move away. It's Time goes by between phone calls and all that. Like, they've fulfilled your, their responsibility to you. Yeah. Right? So then why would I, why would I take the only father that I knew and break yeah. that on purpose because I, I imagine he might suspect anyway yeah so there's that yeah but he got remarried and and had um three other kids oh so my stepmom with whom he's you know okay so they they, they they got divorced uh, how old are you yes now? oh yeah i was i don't know they were married like a year just to justify my existence so Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. that seems like at this point, oh, that's so fast. Yeah, so there's just not really a reason to, like, what would I gain from any of yeah. that? Yeah. Now, in terms of his family, your biological dad's family, have you had any interest in reaching out to them at all? Yeah, he's got, like, a biological older brother that's an attorney. And uh-huh. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be, like, this long-lost child that shows up and is like, here, let me take this, like, Coke can away so I can prove that, like... Because yeah. I know, I, I know the truth. Um, but it would have been, really, it would have changed the whole face of my of my life because there is a small Lebanese community. Yeah. Um, Syrian-Lebanese, like, back when there was, I don't know, I guess... They were joined together before they were separate states. Um, so, yeah, I got to find out, research my... Because at least he was a public figure in my hometown. Yeah. Doing real estate and owning restaurants and stuff. So, there were things in the newspaper and, you know, long, long time ago where I could go read about my grandparents and their journey from coming from Lebanon, Syria. So yeah. It's really cool, which, of course, changes the way everything some little girl from Kansas that move to LA and sort of yourself interested in the world view of, you know, yeah. America, right? Absolutely. So then finding out that you're a Lebanese Syrian and then of course what's going on in, in Syria three years ago and then, and then just uh, in Beirut with their, their financial revolution and everything about, you know, in, in Lebanon, the financial structure dissolving, um, it changed, it, you have a new, the sympathy reaches you deeper when you sure. realize you're like, wow, those are my... 68 third cousins, you know? Yeah, that's fascinating. And did your biological father come over as an immigrant? Or was he uh, He born? was born in Oklahoma, but his parents did. Yeah. So. And there was obviously all sorts of political unrest when they, his yeah, grandparents. Yeah, Christians were persecuted. I'm assuming your grand, those grandparents are past now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what's left is the brother, and then the brother has kids, probably? I assume so. I found... Through the obituary, um, I found um, some young man who ended up being like my my father's um, wife's grandson. Uh huh. And he like paid for him to go to college, all this stuff. It was super cool. But I reached out to him and I was like, "Hey, I saw you re- responded to this. Like, can you tell me about this man?" And he was like, "This is weird. Why?" And I gave him a little information that oh i just never got to meet him but he was somebody significant to me duh, duh. he's like let me call you and so he called me and so we had a nice little conversation um i'm not really into calling strangers but i was like well i have now made it weird for him and he's <laughs> otherwise going to not understand this all anyway i just approached that conversation like i was just trying to gather a little information which i was yeah you know but i didn't want to disturb everything that he had in his whole life like his mother married my biological father with the belief that there that I you know me and nothing like me ever existed. Yeah. So why would I go in and disturb their frat you know fragile yeah. perception of reality like that had been done to me? Why would I want to put that on somebody else? So. And so the 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 wife of your biological father is still around. Yes. He's still alive. Yes. So you don't think that in some way she might want to have a connection with you, or you think that's be too disturbing? Um, it's just immobilizing trying yeah. to figure out how to approach that. And there's so many different kinds of people and you have no idea I what wonder, and, and that, you know, it's a very 
robust estate and he had nobody else. So like approaching her when I just wouldn't, I just didn't want to go disturb that situation. Yeah. Um, but I've thought about his, his brother who's just somebody I could just call his office one day and just leave a message. And if he calls me back, cool. If not, I can just, but you haven't done it yet. No, no, Is but I've known for a couple of years, but he's pretty old. So yeah, if I'm going to, I should not wait. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. And have you been back? To, have you been to Lebanon? Have you sort of like said, I'm going to do a little like homage to the motherland type of trip? Well, um, cause you probably have family, in I've Lebanon, wanted, too. I've wanted to, but between this, you know, the Syrian war and everything that's been going on there, and then as soon as that died down even a l- little bit, then Lebanon had their financial, like, it's just, it was on fire and everybody was in the streets. It was, yeah. you know, they're trying to fix a lot of things that are very broken. So yeah. uh, it just kept looking like, oh, these are just hints from the universe. Maybe not now. Yeah. But I've talked to people who've gone there and they're like, oh, Beirut is the, is the Paris oh, yeah, of the Middle East. Amazing, and, yeah. and how incredible it is that I have to go there and how exciting it it is. Um, those ancient ruins and all kinds of yeah. things I'm fascinated about for the country. So yeah. So I'm hoping long story turned into a longer, longer story. Yes, I would like to go one day. That'd be great. And maybe... Have a camera and just see yes. if you can track some people down. I mean, I don't know how detailed these uh, DNA tests are in terms mm-hmm. of like finding other family members, but I'm sure they're they're there. Fascinatingly enough, I found one cousin uh, in Beirut that makes content for like uh, Instagram or like maps that turn into 3D maps or something. Yeah. Anyway, it was some stuff I was fascinated by that I can't really recall, but. Um, but I got to see it through his, like, you know, and he's maybe like 65 or something yeah. like that now. But um, it was just beautiful to see his take on the scenery and everything that he cared about, you know, yeah, even no. distantly. Yeah. Just that he, he would go traverse the you know, landscape and hike and have video of it and stuff. So And here you are, you're a photographer now, too. Yeah. So that's all connected. That's I, I love stuff like that. Yes. That's really cool. So, um, and now just to, to veer away from that, you, uh, so you, you grew up in Kansas and, uh, you went to college after that or you went to, you just started modeling? I did. Um, I did my undergraduate in my hometown uh-huh. and then decided it was time to go out into the great big world. So moved to Miami, did that for a year, moved to LA, did that for a couple years. It was all, you were modeling the whole time, just yes. kind of like, now at that point when, when you're modeling, because you know, I, I grew up in New York and obviously there's a lot of models in New York, uh, the, the life is very, can be very fun, you get a lot of free shit, you get to travel around a lot, you get to be mm-hmm. on boats, um, while you were doing that and, and you, you get in the Playboy, you can become a Playboy Playmate, um, are you looking at this as a stepping stone? Were you looking at it as a stepping stone for something else that you wanted to do as an avenue to get more exposure? Um, and how did your social media blow up sort of from that? Well, I had built, I guess social media came from just using it. So there's, yeah. there's that just engaging. I engage with people of my interest, that type of thing. Um, but I wanted to do Playboy to legitimize the fact that to get out of my hometown, I had been, um, doing sexy photo shoots for about two years at that point. Yeah. So I looked at people like Jenny McCarthy and, um, I, I saw how forgiving people were of that. So I was like, yeah. okay, well, that's my line. Plus, obviously, it's it's just an interesting brand that's had a lot of yeah. culture, Absolutely. influential aspects to it. And I mm-hmm. thought it would it would be cool. But mainly, I just wanted to legitimize yeah. the fact that I was naked and that's on the also, internet at that point. <laughs> and, and, and to be a Playboy Playmate... Um, is in that is very prestigious in terms of it's not hustler it's not you know it's yeah. it's the classiest of the sort of yeah. semi nude now is is the process of getting that you just send these photo shoots and someone goes to to the company and someone reaches out to you how does that even work well i'm not even sure how they do that now yeah. um but i went to multiple castings i did one i think in in dallas where they they had set up shop somewhere and like a hundred girls come in for, you know, they were casting for their, I don't know, 30th anniversary or something like that. So you go in, do a photo shoot, 
you know, it's assembly, pretty assembly line, that type of thing. They didn't pick me from that. I went to Miami and did a test shoot with a photographer that, you know, he had had a, like a little assembly line shoot thing submission. So I just come at it a couple different ways, but I think I had to submit like five times before they were like, oh, okay, wow. yes. So and it, then, it's so persistence, definitely. But yeah. like when, when, when your life gives you purpose and you finally just pick something, then you start looking at all the possible avenues to accomplish that one thing and, and everything works in your favor if it's yeah. meant for you. So, and I don't know how, how it works when you become a playboy, playboy, but does does it sort of automatically open doors for other modeling or did it just sort of... Ex- yes. Um, well, I ended up just... Um, Playboy's a family to where if you do one shoot, you do two, three, four. And I've yeah. done all these international editions and just oh, wow. different countries. And just by pitching photo shoots... I would find the director or the um, uh, the art directors in the mastheads of magazines. Like I would go to these like newsstands, like old school style, and like write the emails down oh, and wow. write and be like, I hope these people speak English because you know you're writing you know, all these other countries. Like you don't, they don't know. Um, so and then some of them would write back and be like, Sure, we love this. We need three more horizontal shots, and then you would do that and then send it to them, and and then they would buy it and license the rights to print it. So, um, that was a couple of those avenues, but, but I wanted to get in Playboy so bad. I started, I pitched myself as a writer for them. Oh, wow. I was like, it'd be fun because I'm like one of the girls and I could do little photo shoots with them and stuff. So I was doing the cross promoting like kind of thing where you see different models do photo shoots that are clearly orchestrated. Right. But I would do that. And, um, I, um, Playboy had a safe for work site, um, the smoking jacket, all through, like, the early 2000s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did that for a number of years. It was, like, a Maxim.com or something. So I would interview the models, and we would do a little photo shoot to, you know, have the header, that type of thing. So I would just I would just interview girls and try to make that something. And I, would, I did it, like, every week for, I don't know, three years or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what, did Playboy publish you? Publish your writing? Yeah, on the, on the website, on that, on that dot .com, oh. I would, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um... Now, so I imagine as you do that, and as as you're a female and you're getting older and you do this, then you have to pivot, right? Is that sort of, is that the word that people use? Yeah. Did you... Grow. <laughs> Diversify. I, did you think about acting? Is that something that you kind of wanted to pursue? I mean, you're in LA, it's sort of like, I feel like everyone's like, and your Uber driver's like, I got a call back for Bones. You know, everyone either has a screenplay they're working mm-hmm. on, or they want to be an actor or something. I know there's some people who say they don't want to be an actor, but then... I feel like almost everyone goes. Maybe I'll try to act, no matter what they do in LA. Someone like maybe I'll maybe I'll think about acting. Well, I was not somebody that looked at acting and thought that was easy at all. Yeah. I mean, I I'm a like a Princess Jasmine looking <laughs> girl with um, a Southern accent. Like I was like, where does the truck driver voice fit into this yeah, situation? Yeah, yeah. And so I was concerned about having to lose my dialect. It didn't have anything to do with my dreams. I didn't want to minimize what it was and jump into something sure. that's... Ex- yeah, I mean, they're unrelated. Being a model is only kind of similar to acting as far as the motions go. Yeah. Um, I just didn't have any interest, although it's been a long-standing goal that I would like to die in a horror movie before I'm done, <laughs> before I hang it up. Um, but life kind of changed to where... Y- there really isn't a point where I feel like I have to hang it up. I tried to walk away from modeling a couple times. Moved away to Atlanta, tried to do the normal housewife thing. And oh, really? You got yeah, married? I did that for... Well, I was in a... I was in one of those unmarried married situations. Okay. So, after three years of that relationship and two years of being in Atlanta, I moved back to L.A., where yeah. I've been for the last three years. So Yeah. yeah. So, the ho- did the housewife thing, did it suit you? Were you like, eh, this is like... Was it the relationship or just the idea of living that life that made you want to leave it? Oh, um, it just didn't work out in the relationship. And I looked at Atlanta and I didn't want to stay. Yeah. And then something crazy, the house that I lived in when I first lived in L.A. for years, I just checked Craigslist just real quick. And I was like, wow, my apartment's open again. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I felt like the stars were aligning. And so I wrote my old landlord and he said, not only is an apartment available, it's like the room that you had before. So Yeah. Yeah. And when you came into L.A., were you able to kind of do the Playboy Mansion party? Was it still around then? Um, not this time. I did that, but um, 
I, I did the whole Sunday fun day thing, you know, where I've, half of I've, his friends man, go to the I've, grotto. I've never been cool enough to go. How was that? Was that a well, was it I, fun? I am really happy that I have the memories of going before Hef passed away. So. Yeah. So you, had, you knew Hef and you had some sort of communication with him and... Yeah, yeah, you yeah. go there and hang out, but I mean, it's pretty. At that point, he he was already pretty um, quiet, and it took a lot out of him just to go out and smile and eat oh, sandwich, sure. uh, eat a sandwich, and play some chess with his friends, which is what he liked to do. Yeah, yeah. But there was something about it that was because I always wanted to go, and every once in a while they'd have like stand up shows, and I almost w- would get invited to go, and it would never work out. Um, so a lot of people have like envy, envy about the fact that they never got to be a part of that, that scene. Mm. Was it something that when you were there, you felt it was cool and did represent this sort of old Hollywood thing? Or did you look and see through the cracks and be like, oh, this is kind of like a little exploitative or how did it feel to you? Um, well, I didn't ever feel any kind of exploited in it because it brought, for me, like I said, it brought legitimacy to what I had already chosen to do with my for life. Sure, it was just sure. something, it was a way to be like, well, what's available to me? But um, I was so grateful to meet Hef and everything that that, you know, writing for the magazine and, and all these other things, like it, it's such a, it's such a sisterhood and it's really fun. And now that I'm a photographer, I picked up photography in the last two years. Um, but I had this existing network of all these like beautiful glamour sure. girls. Why not put that to use? So everything builds upon something else. Yeah. So while acting wasn't for me necessarily, other than I hope I get to die in a horror <laughs> film at least once <laughs> for fun. Yeah. There's all these new emerging opportunities uh, to make content, and you don't have to be an actor for that. You of, can just of course not, be yeah. yourself, like yeah. what we're doing today. Yeah. And uh, I, know, I know you, one of the things we talked about is your interest in MMA. Yes. <laughs> the game. Now, and that, have you thought about doing an MMA podcast? I don't know a lot of women who have MMA podcasts. I thought about, um, well, I was a guest several times for a journalist that had one, and I would run camera for him for, like, red carpet events and... Um, um, he would do amateur boxing interviews and um, professional MMA, that type of thing. So yeah. we would run around together, and I would be a guest quite consistently on his podcast. Um, but I didn't feel like I had the technical knowledge, that type of thing. Like, he sort of carried that. It was I was a fun extra element, but yeah, I, I, I could see myself having a podcast in the future. I've been hitting the guest spots pretty hard this last week. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't know necessarily. There's other interests I have. Uh, MMA is definitely a big one. And how did so. that come about? Was it were you were you trained ever? Did you? No. 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 Um, I am about as athletically inspired <laughs> as you could get on the opposite side of the spectrum. Yeah. On the zero side. Um, but there's something about their journey. Their hardworking, amazing people that usually overcome the odds. Yeah. And they have these stories, and, and, and I just, I guess the archetypes that, that they are is significant. Um, it, it reaches me, like yeah, overcoming sure. the hardship and just... Coming from a small town and... They're inspiring to me to where Hollywood, I was surrounded by um, a lot of people that are the types that you would suspect would be here. You know, sure. their parents were famous, and so now they're famous. And mm-hmm. and it's a lot of that type of thing. Um, but mixed martial arts, like, you can't get there. You can't become a pro fighter without it's your blood, gut, yeah. sweat, tears. It, 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 it's one of the few meritocracies that exist. Yes, and I love that. And, and nobody can really argue with the way that it's... Yeah. Cookie crumbles, you know? Yeah, exactly. I love that about it. And even if you don't start in the UFC, any promotion, if you're just winning it, eventually you'll get attention. Yeah. You know, eventually people will will, uh, will approach you. Yeah, and it doesn't matter, like, what country you come from. and it, you, People just coalesce behind fighters they love. And so it's fun. You get attached to their stories. And uh, I, I just sank up with it and and there was a little bit of that whole they're like oh this girl that also does something cool like fighters do a really great job i don't know if you watched yesterday but like stipe had you know machine gun kelly you know this is a little 
rah-rah group, I guess. I yeah. just fell into the rah-rah group for fighters, and that made it really fun to have a place and belong um, with people that are so diverse, but at the same time, they're so real and connective, and they don't, they're not um, snotty elitist like a lot of people you'll meet in Hollywood yeah. to where even if you're Absolutely. there, you don't want to be around them. It's just not fun well, if, you know, to be with them. In terms of Stipe, I, I did a show in um, Cleveland, a comedy show, mm-hmm. and Stipe came with his wife. And I, when he came in, he came into, I was touring with Jeremy Piven, and he came into the dressing room, and he you know, just wore a suit, just some, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And then once I found, I was oh, fuck, this is Stipe, holy shit. And then he invited us to his house the next day. He has like a modest house in the suburbs. It's Super in a nice. crazy right. mansion. He has a cute little daughter that he's crazy about. He is a like a full time firefighter. I know that's what I mean about these stories. Like, I mean, ha- who wouldn't cheer for him? Yeah, exactly. I know. I was I was cheering just, for him. It was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you watched the fights this past weekend. I did. Yeah, and do you bet on the stuff? Do you do draft? You know, music? after uh, I've been on a roll lately. Yeah. Of making accurate predictions. Um. And yesterday I thought about it and I was like, ah, download an app, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. But I put, but I lay it all out there on Twitter, you know, with my predictions and stuff. So yeah. sometimes I'm absolutely awful. Yeah. And so if you, because I always go for who I, who I want to you have see You have like win. an emotional connection. Not, yeah, because if they're my the friend, you're not going to catch me on the internet saying I hope somebody or I think somebody's going to beat them. Like that isn't what you do. Yeah. How do you do that to your friends? Like, of that course. isn't <laughs> what I would do. Um, but if you can... If you can detach a little bit, you know you're you can analyze the situ- situation. All right, so yeah, I was actually about to put money on Stipe. I was about to put like mm. a couple hundred bucks. Well, good you did. Just just from an emotional point of view, yeah, you know, it's just like, ha, like, and that's the thing with MMA, which is a hard. It's hard to be a fan because it it, it rotates so much. Like you're a fan of someone, and they have like are lucky five years. Sort yes. of, and then they're gone, and then you have to find someone new. It's not like a football mm-hmm. team; you can be a fan your whole life. Well, and I think a lot of the people that stay—I don't want to stay over uh, or say that they overstay their welcome or something—but people that stay past their prime, uh, you almost have to cheer for them because, like, you're like that's legacy. How am I supposed to not? I know. Love these people that you know, and eventually they get inducted in the Hall of Fame. They become. Um, coaches or, or trainers and then they or analysts or something like that like there's always places to go yeah I, I, I always think about it with MMA too because there's so many fighters that do stay past their prime yes um, I mean very famously the most recent one was uh, Tio Ortiz and Chuck Liddell and they had their trilogy match yes I think it was their third match right yes at this point I guess Liddell was maybe 48 or something like that I know that Dan and Dana White was basically like, I think they wanted to do it at the UFC, and Dana White's like, I'm not going to sign off on these people who might kill themselves. This is not good for the sport in any way. And I think it became like the lowest pay-per-view of all time in MMA, that fight, because people just, they really, even they're huge fans, they didn't want to see it anymore. It just Did, was sad. Was it De La Hoya that took... Over I doing think you're that right. one, yeah. uh, think, well, yeah. and so to scale it with somebody that's not an MMA promoter is kind of unfair because it's brand, you know, first one. To, he just saw the brand recognition, yeah. and so he took his, you know, took Golden Boy into MMA. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun for a certain era of, and I mean, you can't. Those are those are kings of their era, of course. So watching them face off, there's interest there but it's also sort of like you know mike tyson and vander holyfield gonna do their thing you know there's a novelty where people are like well it's not gonna be mike tyson yeah. ripping skin type thing like but we don't want it to go that way sure so as long as you scale your expectations like i think those those legacy fights are are fun yeah, fun well, for fun if you just have your um expectations appropriately placed. Yeah. I think the difference with the boxing legacy fights and the MMA is boxing is still... I mean, MMA is an art form, but boxing is still... There's Queensbury rules. There's It's very... Um, it, it, it's sparring at the end of the day, right? You can't... You're not just fighting somebody. 
you have a huge I mean granted MMA has rules but boxing is very very specific and it's um, and I think with them they had alright don't punch them in the fucking face they had all these kind of you can't do that with MMA well they're pretty they're pretty clear that it's a um, exhibition exhibition fight yeah Yeah. but you can't have an exhibition MMA fight yeah not really because it's sort of and that's why I don't think Dana had the interest in it he's like look I've got even though it's not necessarily like a like a a bracket situation or something but these are real contenders that are chasing a belt you know yeah that's what people need to be in there doing or you can't really justify sitting around waiting for just like prize money and being in the mix because you're not motivated at that point yeah and i think about like a lot of athletes in general i think it's very hard and people do talk about this other than the concussion situation it's really hard for for athletes who've just been an athlete their whole life to transition to civilian life, you know? Yeah. If if you're a movie star and you do it, you still have all your movies that get watched and and I think you can kind of... And even movie stars, like they, they'll act until they literally can't get out of bed anymore. There's always um, Hallmark movies. Yeah, there's always you know. some bullshit movie that you'll see in your hotel mm-hmm. later. Like, oh, this fucking dude's still working. Bruce Stern in another movie. Um but it's, it's always heartbreaking, like when you see Jordan play the Wizards. You're like, oh, fuck, man. Just, why don't you go out on top? Like, you always want to see your idols, like George St. Pierre. Like, he went out on top. His timing was amazing. But, but other than him... Well, Michael Bisping, I would say. Really? Yeah. I feel like Michael Bisping by then was kind of... Uh, well, he got the belt. He fulfilled... He, fulfilled. he, got, he quit after he got the belt? He, yeah, right? I thought he got the belt, and then he fought again, and got destroyed, and then he quit. Well, okay. So that maybe that, but that misses the mark just a tiny bit. But but see how I'm yeah. so invested. And I didn't even necessarily remember yeah. that detail. Yeah. And then there are people like Bisbing who, you know, good looking guy uh, knows the sport very well. Knows that he was a, a real student of it. He was able to transition to being a broadcast journalist. Which, mm-hmm. if you're a football player or basketball, if you don't have that, that's really fun for fans. Yeah. And if you don't have that ability to be a broadcast journalist, like what the fuck. You become like a car salesman, literally, like so many athletes. Right. I feel bad for people that don't speak English because UFC is an American company, even and even though other like Brazil, obviously they celebritize their yeah their jujitsu players and you know UFC yeah. fighters that type of thing. Um, so there's always a place for them. But like if you if you don't speak English or Portuguese, like I don't know. You missed the boat in that way, and it's not fair. You didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But it was really cool to see how much, like, Francis Ngannou's English, you know, like, yesterday. Yeah. You wouldn't really know that we couldn't understand it. And, and he didn't ever do the route of having a translator. He just brought his game up, like, in every, you know, conceivable way. So, yeah. um just what people have to overcome to be in the UFC and, and do the media days and, and all this stuff that they, you know, they, they don't love doing all of that you know no, they're, of course they're, not they're cage fighters and they excel at what they do but all of that presses a, lo- a lot of i mean some of them are hams for the camera and it's you know yeah this is a walk in, in the park for them and i think you know this a lot of people may not know this a lot of the shit talking is really orchestrated i think there is bad blood between some fighters mm-hmm. but i would probably say 80 percent of it is just like you call the guy up like hey listen man we gotta fucking get some sales I know, like, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, mm-hmm. um, they did a lot of shit talking before their second fight. But then it was pretty clear at the weigh-ins that they were actually kind of homies. You know what I mean? Well, there's such a, a respect, right? I think you acknowledge that's just the yeah. other man that's similar to you, and you have to have somebody, like, it's a head nod, right? Yeah. Like, but there's also this, couldn't this, do without this trick that goes on with the way, like, they shove each other and... I'm sure they almost agree on it half the time. You know, we gotta because if you have a, if you have a, a, a way in where it looks like someone's going to fuck somebody up, mm-hmm. it will fuel pay per view, and you get a cut of the. I'm assuming every UFC fighter who's mainlining, headlining, or top lining mm-hmm. gets a cut of the pay per view. Obviously, right? I think it's what they negotiate. Yeah, so some of them do, and some of them don't. It's very funny because I don't know if you follow jujitsu at all. I do. Do you follow Gordon Ryan? Yes. Yeah, so I've done um, photography for a lot of those brands. Yeah. So, flow I grappling and. Yeah, so there's a flow grappling event in Austin on 
Friday. That's their home base, right? Austin. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And and Gordon Ryan, you know, I, and I, I, that's where I got belted at Henzo Grace Academy in in New York. And he was seemed like this nice kind of quiet kid from Jersey. And he just decided, it seems like consciously, not that he was this like piece of shit guy who wanted everyone to hate him, that this was the way to the best way to monetize jujitsu. Is just to f- be the most arrogant, shit talking, and just almost make it, almost racialize it by like, I'm an American, come at me, Brazilians. You invented the sport and you can't fucking beat me. And there's so many people who hate him, but they have to watch him because they're, they're watching him to watch him lose. And yes. he's not losing. I mean, I don't know if you saw the fight with Wagner Roche on, on Friday, but it was pretty amazing. Um, he, uh, and there was a lot of shit talking about Wagner and da back and forth, um, and he tried to make it really personal. And when they when they fought, they were like jabbering at each other the whole time. Before he won on the match, Gordon had an envelope and he put it on the uh, judges' table, and it said, "Open after the fight." Ten minutes into the fight, he puts Wagner in a in a triangle choke and taps him. Mm. So during the interview, he sits down and like open the envelope. He opens it. It's just a picture of a triangle. Uh, so he what called, are you gonna do? He called, which is pretty fucking badass. Yeah, you know what I mean. Had a game plan, and people love the idea as much as may, people may be hating because the whole thing that Wagner's saying, and this applies to MMA too, and it can go on to anything. Cardi B, you name it. When you have that big a platform, you are a role model. You are influencing people into the sport. You are part of the legacy of sport. So what yes. is your obligation to that? Because I get you want to drive numbers and get money and da-da-da, but as an ambassador of jiu-jitsu, Wagner's argument was like, you're not a good ambassador of the sport despite your skill. Well, there, and there has to be... You can't have a story without a bad guy. So yes. what he understands is that fight fans come for some tension. Like, fight fans aren't... You know, they're not Disney. They're not Disney fans. Yeah. You know, they like that They like that story. Yeah. It's fun to have a bad guy that you like. Yeah. Or that you it like inv- to hate. Yeah, you just... But people also... Like, look at politics. People love being polarized. They just respond to it. Yeah. You know? I think it's very hard for people to admit that they loved hating Trump. Yeah. Like, it was just a thing that people... Yes. Became I mean, quite apparent. That was the... <laughs> that was the move. <laughs> like, yeah. they just couldn't quit him. They hated him, but they really loved him because he gave them a perfect avenue for them to express their antipathy towards anything. And, and Gordon Ryan is that in jujitsu? He's the I've Donald Trump of jujitsu. He's a kind person off camera. I mean, and yeah, that's not a impolite jerk or anything. Yeah. I wouldn't say. And I think that everyone also loves the idea of a superhero. You know, and and they always the UFC will always build up someone as like this new breed of fighter that's untouchable and unbeatable and invincible and it was Anderson Silva for a while and then you watch that slow decline which is heartbreaking um, and then then it became Israel he became and then he so now it's Francis Ngannou he's like going to be the, who's going to ever beat he's the impossible and like okay give it like two more fights and there's going to be someone else Mm. It's just it's. I find it very hard to be a, to be a fan sometimes because you get like attached to someone and they're fucking gone like yeah. Stipe, like, what's going to happen with Stipe now? But, it, but it's analogous to all of life, right? Yeah. So I knew with the DC trilogy how that was going to go, and it was uh, not to diminish Daniel Cormier's achievements at all, but I thought it was flukish that he got that at all. And I was like, well, Stipe is just going to win this, get get his stuff back. Yeah. And then I was like, and, and, and Daniel Cormier should never fight again after this. Like, he shouldn't go yeah. on. But this needs to be the end, right? Yeah. Like, the stars aligned for him in that way. I was like, but Stipe needs to just call it a day once he did, like, go out on top, man. Don't do that. Because I was like, he's going to have a false sense of security that he beat Ningano. But, like, Ningano in the salt mines and Cameroon. I don't know. What, what's the story? Cameroon he he, like, he worked I the mean, salt mines? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. I know that. Yeah. I mean, and I can, like, I've stood next to, I've stood next to him uh, photographed him on the red carpet before for Hall of Fame induction and I sat next to him briefly at um um what is it World MMA awards uh-huh. last year and um just somebody that if you didn't know he was a special person in a in a room you would just 
still be aware of the like the density of it. I call yeah. it density. I'm not. Um, there's a whole lot in there. You know, some yeah. people have a gravity about them, and it's undeniable. Yeah. It's not warm and cuddly. It's not. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's not charismatic so much, but there's a power to it that's I just really saw and and respected and I I knew he would he would be the one but I've been saying that since 2018 you know yeah. and I had some friends in the heavyweight division and I wasn't going to say anything publicly about that but you know they're I mean he not looked, contending he anymore looked and so pretty. now I can just be pretty f- straightforward and say you know hey yeah. This is this is Nanganu's world, and I think John Jones might be an interesting uh, answer um, because he could he could out technical, you know he could he could outskill Nanganu, um, but even to match his power his would power be a freak, is, a freak thing. And John Jones is the best at two hundred five to ever do it. So yeah, but Nanganu weighs how much now? Like two. F- Sixteen. He was thirty pounds heavier than uh, they Stipe like yesterday. They look a different weight class. Like, what was Stipe doing? I was like, "Where's your, where's your fireman beef?" Like, yeah, did, he he slimmed down quite a bit, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, and you know, and people always say, "Oh, well, that's better with the cardio increase and the uh, you're faster that way if you're lighter and this type yeah. of thing." But I was like, "You're dealing with the getting getting hit by Francis Ngannou is like getting hit by a Ford Escort as that's fast right. as it can go." Yeah. What? Oh that God. is superhuman levels of strength, and uh, I know. And I think another thing that that attracted me to M, uh, MMA so much, out of really out of nowhere, um, is the fact that it's such a contrast to my world, and and we don't get any we don't get anything like that in Hollywood, really. Like those are no. raw, you know. No, I'm, I mean for for you to to be a jujitsu player, I'm sure it has brought you lots of therapy, or you would have dropped it. A, you know, you lots of therapy. It. You said. Yeah, I'm sure it brings oh, you therapeutic elements, and it's absolutely. done that for me, even in a, even in a relatively just a spectator type of role. And, and while I do like a ringside photography and cage side shooting and that type of thing, and I've gone as a personality to these things, and it's a fun social dynamic game yeah. for me to just. Um, but I like that it's not about me, you know. Yeah, I like coming in and just getting to enjoy the game, but like a little bit closer than everybody else. You yeah. Know? And do you, do you have an understanding of of jujitsu and the technique when they're on the ground? Do you understand what's happening? Do you have you have you learned it? I mean, it seems like it might be fun for you just to learn some jujitsu. It's it's a it's a you're not gonna you'll still be pretty. You're not gonna hurt yourself. You can you can learn in a way that's that's very safe and fun. I think jiu- I mean it changed my life personally. So yeah, well, I've listened to Rogan for years talk about it, you know, with his friends and people that you would have no idea that they roll, and people always come out with comments about the sense of um, humility you gain from it, and, and just the fact that it's good to go out there and, and bust your ass, and just is the strategy involved, and just a sense of commitment and community, and there's so many things that, that you gain from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I won't say that it's out of the realm of possibility for me, uh, but, but the world's changed a whole lot. I mean, it's been a year, and I don't think jujitsu gyms can even be open here. Oh, I've been going the whole time. Yeah, well, right. I mean, but illegally, safer. but yeah. Sure. sure. So, while that might be true if you're in the machine of it, it's yeah. not probably the greatest time because, you know, social media, you want to share stuff, but you can't. Of you know, course, all this stuff because you don't want the gym to close. And Yeah. Um, it's just a weird time for I, all I've of I've always thought that jujitsu... Um, it definitely has traction in America. It doesn't have any. It doesn't have a lot of traction with women, and I always thought it'd be a great sport for women in terms of self defense because I think women are taught self defense in a way that's very unrealistic. Like, oh, you're going to punch him in the throat, and oh, you're not going to punch him in the throat. You're not going to. You'll be lucky if you get a solid kick to the balls and eye gouge. But the truth is, like, if you're able to fight from your back in a smaller position, which is what jujitsu caters to. Um, it's probably the best defense for some sort of assault on, uh, from a man. And I've always thought it would be the best uh, best way to teach women how to defend themselves from that type of aggression, you know? Yeah, I agree. Definitely won't minimize it in that way. Um, I think that um, jujitsu has an image problem in America. Why so? Um, well, uh, just to attract women. Yeah. Like... I mean, look, was our Gabrielle? 
Gabriel Garcia. Okay, so, I mean, honestly, it's sort of like the problem that Dana White had with promoting um, Cyborg, who's uh, obviously, like, such a machine, but it was hard to find people, to women to come contend with her because then people see that and they're like, well, that's a absolutely devastating monster that I would never (laughs) want to face that, you know, and then, and then you have somebody like Ronda Rousey is a little bit more, uh, women look at that and they're like, okay, well, I could maybe, yeah, she looks like the girl next door. She's cute. She's attractive. And, and they definitely, you see, definitely tries to cater to the attractive mm-hmm. female fighters in a way that sometimes I think is kind of productive. Well, just Although because, the, you know, the guys think they're hot and the girls look at that and, like, uh, you know, girls look at some that have comparable body styles and you're like, oh, I could see myself in yeah. possibly pursuing that. And then it grow, and then it grows the sport and then you want to support them. And, yeah. You know. I think UFC bringing women in, what was it, like six years ago was the best idea they ever had, you know, or Ten yeah. years ago, maybe now. Um, now Not you, that long ago, because I've been watching for ten years. Yeah. Um, do you think the future of MMA is going to be the UFC, or do you th- think these other promotions coming up mm. uh, are going to be able to supersede it, or do you think there's they're more attractive? Like, there's one championship. There's bare knuckle. Yeah. You know, do you think do you think that it's just like UFC will always be the NFL of of MMA or do you see it changing? It's growing uh, the fastest. There's a lot of UFC content that's behind paywalls and I I can understand why and cuz you have to profit off what you're doing or you can't exist. Um, but I think if if the prevalency doesn't continue to grow and it's growing it's growing in popularity i mean i talk about it all the time and i drag my friends to it and they could care less and then eventually they catch on a little bit you know sometimes i have some success with that um but you know everything goes at its own speed and the more people that you know like Paige van zant was good to grow and and yeah. she did sports illustrated the you know and finding more ways to make it a little more mainstream although as a true fan i have to say i like that it's not mainstream because it's like this little cut of the world i have to like go into that space on purpose yeah and then it's a protected world where it's not so it's just not it's there's no point in trying to meet nba players and have that be like a significant part of your life that has any meaning you know they're over they're over promoted and overextended and over endorsed and so I just don't connect with. Also, I don't connect with team sports really. Yeah. Like I like basketball, but not like I like mixed martial arts. I mean, that's like sank with me in some way that I can't really explain. But. Were you ever a fan of the Pride Championships? Uh, back I in the only day? knew about Pride after the fact, so you get to know the players that exist now, and then you find out about the older leagues. Yeah. Historically, almost because people will be like, "Oh, if you love him, you had to see him," it, you know, in the Strike Force days, or, <laughs> or you know, I started buying those like round five dollars, round ten dollars, or whatever they're called, those little collectibles of them. Yeah. And but then you'd be like, "Oh, well, but do I want them in 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 the Pride Edition box?" You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why the hell not? You know, buy that one too. Yeah. And you're like, maybe I should go back and see what that was, or yeah. Yeah, I'm very curious also how uh, UFC is going to change in terms of the growing popularity of, of submission jiu-jitsu and Oki jitsu Like, if jiu-jitsu is going to... Because, you know, obviously UFC started as a jiu-jitsu sport. It was started to prove that jiu-jitsu was the number one martial art. And initially that was what was being or that, demonstrated. Or that's what they told the Gracies anyway, to make <laughs> yeah. them get on board. But that's how, you know, I mean, Hoist won three of the you know first, first four. And um, and then it changed because people like striking, people like punching, people don't. It was too confusing to see people on the ground. But now you have these people with the leg lock game that Gordon Ryan, these people do, and you have like who's it, Charlie Hooper? These guys are doing like crazy heel hooks out of nowhere. And I'm just wondering if it's going to actually sort of change the game of UFC, or if UFC is just going to still just remain like a striking sport because that's what people want, and they'll never. They're never going to really allow it to have full fruition. Well, if you look at what Dana, who he who he signs based on, you know, Dana, the Contender Series. Yeah. He just likes strikers. Like, they're just flashy. Because he has a boxing history as a boxing promoter, yeah. He knows it sells, you know? Yeah. So. Um, but wrestlers always do historically really do well, you know, champs and stuff. You have to have that background and we, but that's, what's so fun about it is, is a matchup game about whose style is going to win this time. And it's really fun. And I, I, so I don't think that it's 
not significant element. It's just not the sellable highlight of it, you know? Yeah, for it's sure. It's like, it's like to be a fascinating personality, it's, it, it, it's cool to have like this whole internal world inside of you that you can share with the world. But also if you're not pretty, you're not going to be a model. But like if you're a model and you can talk and you have shit to say, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's something that now you can grow into something else. Yeah. So, so what, that, what are your plans moving forward? So you, you, you have this engagement in social media, um, and you're very opinionated as we talked about, about a lot of things. Yes. Thanks so for seems, noticing. <laughs> And I was like, "Whoa, okay, look at her." Um, do you do you have avenues that you're looking at with that to expand? I know we talked briefly about podcasts, but are there other things? Um, I mean, it seems like you be you have you're very articulate, you have a great voice. It seems like broadcast journalism might be something you'd be interested in. Is it something that you you think about, or, or what do you look at going forward? Well, I'm extremely camera shy. This is uh, the best audio podcast I've done already just because I think something about turning the camera off. So maybe I should try that. Maybe I should have a few conversations and just and, and to bring my nerves down. Something about being watched is hard really? for me. For a model, that's very interesting to hear. Well, I don't mind if I don't have to put it all together. It's just like, it's sort of like dancing or other things. It's just putting all the things together. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. As an actor, I'm sure you don't think it's hard, but it's hard when you don't have those skills built. I, I, this is the third podcast I've done uh-huh. in uh, four days. Oh, wow. The other two were on Zoom. Oh, those and are terrible always. It's significantly harder. Well, it's just my trepidation and all that, plus I don't know Zoom, so I'm dealing with that. And also, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm not a speaker. So all my articulate um, uh, creations that... People like you read, and they're like, we should have her on the podcast, because I'm sure she can say the same thing if she can write it. Okay, well, yeah. that's not always true. So, yeah. But also, um, the world has changed so much that I recognized if I don't just do these podcasts, you know, where's the opportunity? Like, we, all the live events are, like, that we don't have them in the West Coast, so. Yeah. Well, it seems like the MMA could, could be a really good forum for you to kind of expand into and talk about and maybe get some sort of purchase in that world. As a, as a female commentator, you know? I mean, something to think about. Yeah, maybe. Know. There are not maybe. a lot of them. Not a lot of them out there. Um, well, anything else that you uh, you have going on that you want to tell people about or any, that they can find you? Oh, well, I bought Bitcoin, so you can talk to me about <laughs> Bitcoin. That's my new. I bought that two weeks I'll ago. I'll never understand. You just bought two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago. How many Bitcoins do you have? Well, that isn't something that a Y'all lady ever <laughs> says, uh, but I am a believer in buying on the dip. So I... Um, dip, has Bitcoin dipped? Well, it depends on what you consider down. Yeah. Uh, for me... Yes. yes. So yeah. then I buy a little more, a little more. It's fun. It's fun. It's like a it's a digital savings account. And where thing. do you think that's going to head, Bitcoin? Do you think it's just going to keep going up and up and up and up? Um, well, of course, the hope is is it's um could become the reserve currency of the world because yeah. the dollar is actively, sh- you know, of course. printing money by the trillions. That's not good. There's not a lot of confidence. So mm. I feel like, I mean, I heard the Bitcoin pitches years ago, um... Up to this point, I didn't see the necessity of it before what I've seen in the last year. And so now it's the one productive thing that pulled me out of a depression of feeling like completely just helpless in what's going on, a policy you disagree with, and these types of things, and being able to um, do nothing about it. So buying Bitcoin helped me to feel like I have something... Um, productive, constructive to do with myself and, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm enjoying that and learning about that because I had zero interest in finances. Just like you before UFC, I had no interest in athletics at all. Yeah. But before Bitcoin, I had zero interest in finance. I only cared about finance in the way that now, because I have an investment, now it's time to relearn everything I never or learned wrong all these years. Yeah. So, um, but we have a lot of free time here on the West Coast right now to where as we would have been mm-hmm. doing stuff. And um, so just to give, I don't know, purpose to this downtime that we've been facing. Yeah. Um, I got into Bitcoin because it's something to do and Bitcoin for Liberty. Yeah, yeah. And now you're part of this, this interesting cult. community. Yeah. 
they're interesting. They are big. Uh, I thought the MMA community was like the meme masters uh-huh. and speaking GIF and that type of thing. Oh, no. Oh, no. Bitcoiners, they're like turning me into memes and stuff, like giving me the laser eyes. Yeah. You know, and uh, but it's fun. Yeah. But it's fun to know that there might be hope for the future of, uh, you know, saving and spending. And you think that is the point of Bitcoin to to create a, a more fair, equitable system for finance? Uh, I do. I do because I don't like the fact that somebody could have earned and worked their whole life for for a rate that they negotiated, right? And they earned that money, and then people make decisions today that dilute down their savings and their buying power and, and the value of what's in there, you know bank account that's not nice to do to old people on fixed incomes and, sure and, and there's you know I, I i don't think there's any money in 401ks that they're going to be able to pull back out and i don't think like i don't think that there's i don't think that money exists yeah that concerns me yeah and social security will probably be dead and right like so years. why would i want to keep paying into a system like that i mean it's just i've lived my whole life knowing there won't be social security for for me when i need it and yeah. to see that pulled out of every check and and so but then you're like of course i love and care about old people and and so you you don't pick it about it the fact that social security is being pulled from you but you're not going to receive any of it yeah uh, but you know enough does you do find a point where it's like this is uh, this is absurd and you can do nothing about it as just a regular citizen so buying bitcoin was one thing where i felt like it was a way to move forward and also i was very bored yeah so it's given me something to do where I can just have a new... Because we're not meant to have no purpose. We're not meant to have no tasks. We're not meant to have nothing that we need to labor over mentally, yeah. not physically. Yeah. So it's given me something because I'm, I, you know, I didn't know anything about the Fed before a year ago. Then you go on these deep investigative dives about, you know, why the Fed should be dismantled and you can't yeah. audit it and all this. So anyway, it's just really fun. Yeah. And do you think that the Bitcoin world is sort of the Venn diagram of the Bitcoin world and the conspiracy theory world and the QAnon world. Is that like a pretty tight Venn diagram? Like, is it it's the same type of people who engage in conspiracy theory that are also Bitcoin advocates in general? I imagine it's probably a, either libertarian or Republican, mostly cross-section, I'm guessing. Um, I would say that's true, although I feel like the QAnon thing has been weaponized to pull in people that were long before that. Yeah. It was to it, it was it's been weaponized to discredit people for suspicion of the government, which it, I, for me, I mean, that's a long standing. I mean, remember X Files in the '90s and you know uh, who killed Kennedy and all these things. Like, there's been government suspicion since there was government. Of course. So uh, you know and. Uh, so I, so while they might be people that are, it does feel weird to me. I had a French guy write me and say, so you say you're passionately American, but you also bought Bitcoin. Can you please remedy this strange situation for me? Interesting. And so, because he was observing, because you're banking on the destruction of the U.S. dollar, you know? Yeah. Oh, so that's you'd say that's what Bitcoin is. You're banking on the destruction of the U.S. Well, dollar. Well, that's the, the people that are hoping to... Wow. Launch it. Um, but, but imagine, like, taking, if, you're, if you've amassed all this wealth, which is not my situation. Yeah. I have a, a, a French bulldog and a Ford Mustang, and that's what I own, right? <laughs> uh, so it really wasn't about, like, switching my assets into some protected place where I think that that's going to be what'll be what'll be victorious in the process. Yeah. Um, it's that I had just lost faith and confidence in the other. And every time... They print more money. I'm just like, this isn't even like, this isn't even a political thing. It's just a, historically, how has this ever gone? You know, I mean, yeah. we have a lot of countries to look at to know what happens when you yeah. dilute down your... Because, yeah, because most people have no understanding of the economy or inflation or what. I mean, they go, oh, $2 trillion, we get free money? Great. Mm-hmm. And they don't think of the repercussions of it, you know? Right. Because people are stupid, willfully, yes. like and, myself. And Bitcoin, well, and I was... Not interested in learning about finance. I mean, you couldn't have found anybody that was more disinterested in finance and all of that than me. Um, but out of urgency, that's when I decided to learn about it because I was like, well, these things are very concerning to half the country. Yeah. Well, why? And so then you learn about this and then you're like, oh, this leads to that. And historically, dot, dot, dot. And yeah. 
that sounds scary. So, of course, I'm against that. And so then you might, you know, consider changing the way you vote with these things and wow. push back in those ways. But Bitcoin seems like a nice, um, you know, anti-combative way yes. to voice so that eventually, with enough of everybody accumulated... And it's it's a stable currency where there's no well there's no well it's volatile but there's no way to go and dilute the value of that down or make new any more than there already is allotted. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's a bit of a game. Absolutely. Bored people like games. Yeah. Gavin Newsom could have just let the city be open by now, and I wouldn't have even done this, and I wouldn't be trying That's to recall him, yeah. and I wouldn't be doing all these things. Buying cryptocurrency, but I don't know, just too much for too long. And now what do I do? You have to adapt and adjust. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Absolutely. And so could people find you in the Bitcoin world platforms, YouTube, or is that a thing that people can find uh, you at? Well, I can be found mostly on Twitter. That's my main domain, mm-hmm. which is how we met, yeah. luckily. Uh, Instagram, Clubhouse, all those things. Oh, I don't do yeah. the YouTube thing yet, but I suppose that I might in coming days. You should. Um, but my Twitter across all of those is uh, Jessica Vaughn, and Vaughn is spelled V-A-U-G-N. Awesome. Well, Look you are a fascinating woman. I am so glad you were able to come and talk to me about these disparate things. And uh, and I'd, I'd like to have you back.